This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Jewish State. Jewish State. Yosef Haddad, an Arab Israeli who believes with body, mind and soul in his country. And by his country, I mean the state of Israel. Yosef spoke at yet another excellent Stand With Us UK event, this time on the Bimmer at one of London's oldest continuous communities, the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue in West London. And while our audience listened supportively, Others on Yosef's UK speaking tour didn't. A smallish protest greeted his arrival at University College London. Campuses are at the epicentre of anti-Zionism and Palestinianism. With wanted man signs on lampposts around town. I know that there are so many obstacles in the way. Journey is not easy. It's not easy to defend Israel. But we don't have a choice. If we want a better future for our children, for the next generation, we must fight for it. But the only way we will succeed is if we fight together. Yosef was born in Nazareth and raised in Haifa. He served in the IDF's elite Golani Battalion. He served in the 2006 Lebanon War. He was badly injured, and he lost friends and comrades beside him in battle. He was a commander, which means an Arab commanding, among others, Jews. Because, as he says, it's the IDF, Israel's defense force, not the JDF. It's not exclusively Jewish. Yosef stands resolutely against those who seek to destroy the Jewish and democratic state. And he runs Together Vouch for Each Other, an organization to build bridges between Arab and Jewish Israelis and to aid Arab mobility in Israeli society. If you've just hopped on board Johnny Gould's Jewish State, you are welcome. There's a 24-7 live stream of our shows. Just tap this into your browser, www.jewishstate.radio, www.jewishstate.radio. Subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends and spool back a few episodes for former member of the Knesset, the prominent thinker on Zionism and peace, Enat Will. To the credit of Palestinians, they've been saying for a century what they wanted. We have not listened. Or when we did listen, we didn't take them seriously. From the river, from the Jordan River, to the Mediterranean Sea, to the sea. One Arab Palestine, no Jewish state in any borders whatsoever. They've been very consistent about that. And now, in association with Stand With Us UK, here is Yosef Haddad 
live in London. Why I'm here and the journey that I'm doing here with Stand With Us. And the reason why I started it is because, think about this. Every time you hear the word, Israel is an apartheid state, Israel is an apartheid state, I visited the apartheid state. I was in South Africa. And you know what? I spoke in universities in South Africa, in Johannesburg specifically. And after I spoke with a majority of students from the black community, and when I showed them the reality of Israel and Israeli society, and specifically the Arab who lives in Israel, I asked them one question. Can you really compare the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis to the South African apartheid? And I said, comparing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to the apartheid in South Africa is actually doing injustice with your grandparents and your grand-grandparents who actually suffered from real apartheid. They all nodded their head with acceptance. And for me, that was the moment that I said, I did my job. I came to the university, and the fact is that students from the black community in South Africa agreed with that statement. For me, that was a successful journey. Now let's go back. Why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I was born in Haifa. And Haifa is the largest mixed city in Israel. Druze, Christians, Muslims, Jews living in this large mixed city. At age of three, my parents moved to Nazareth. Nazareth is the largest Arab city in Israel. I grew up in between those two cities. My family, the rest of my family stayed in Haifa, my friends. I remember every time I finished school, went back home as fast as possible. I did my homework, otherwise I'm not allowed even to leave my room. Very tough education for my parents. Once I'm done, there was a bus station. About a minute walk, no more than that. I remember going down the hill. And then I take the bus from Nazareth to Haifa. And why? Because my friends were there, my family were there, cousins. And we used to play football together in a neighborhood called Kiryat el Who played football there? Jews, Arabs, whether they're Christians, Muslims, or Druze whether they are secular or religious, from the Ethiopian community or the Russian community, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, whatever you everybody was there. Everybody. And do you think at the age of 12 or 13, we care if I'm passing the ball to a Jew or I'm passing the ball to an Arab? We did not care. We just wanted to play football together. By the way, it's so nice to say football here because in the US you have to say soccer. <laughs> and they call football the one that you play 99% with your hands. American logic, but we're not going to go there. So we're playing football. And this is how, you know, we started getting to know each other better. So at the beginning, we just played football. But then we started becoming friends, Jews and Arabs. And our relationship began like by visiting each other's houses, going to dinner together, having some drinks, going out together. This is how we grew up. Think about it. We actually met each other because we love football. So we wanted to play football. But there is a reason why it was possible. Whether you agree or don't agree, whether it's in my, uh, within my community, people say, oh, it's not true or it is true, it doesn't matter. It's a fact. And I love to talk about facts. And the fact is that it was possible for the Jew and the Arab to be in Haifa and to play football together because of the simple fact that we are all Israelis.
Jews, Arabs. It doesn't matter because if you were the Israelis, you wouldn't be there. And this is what I thought about. But then I looked at this group and I said to myself, this is how the Israeli society should look like. I'm not into mixing cultures and traditions. Oh no. I want everyone to keep their tradition. I want everyone to keep their culture. I want to keep my culture. I want to keep my traditions. But I want to get to know your culture. I want you to know my culture. I want to know your tradition. And I want you to know my tradition. That's the whole idea. Knowing each other's culture, you bridge gaps. Oh, by the way, there's another thing that I usually say to Israelis in Israel, specifically Jews. I said there's another way to bridge gaps, and that's language. The way I come here and speak English in front of you allows me actually to bring you my agenda, allows me to bring you some of what I believe in. Now imagine, imagine if I couldn't speak English. It was very hard for me to come here and speak to you guys. Now take that a little bit and circulate back to Israel. And think about how I, as an Arab, come and speak in front of Jews in Hebrew. Very good Hebrew, actually. What about the opposite? I say that in the most unexpected places, like settlements even. When I say that, the absolute majority, they say, you know what, it makes sense. And it makes sense because 20% of the population in Israel speaks Arabic as a mother tongue language. It makes sense because unfortunately, our enemies speak Arabic. But it also makes sense because if you remember the Abraham Accords, now we have an opportunity with more Arab countries to develop peace and normalization. And by speaking Arabic, it's amazing. It can really bridge gaps. And you know what I saw it? I have two small stories for you guys. The first story is actually about the chairman of the Israeli parliament. Uh, should I say former chairman? His name is Yariv Levin from the Likud, on the right side of the political map. You can't really think that the, the Arabs would be uh, very much of a fan of him or his party. Yariv Levin speaks Arabic even better than me. And during Ramadan, as a chairman of the Knesset, he congratulated the Arab society in Israel for the Ramadan. And he did it in Arabic. That day, the way he did it, his approach, the respect, Everyone in the Arab society literally said, why can't this guy be our prime minister? A way that you actually present and speak towards a community makes a difference. And when we actually saw the way he approached us, the way he spoke to us, the way he respected us, it made us actually respect him back. And that's the whole idea about how language can actually bridge gaps. One more story about just a simple Jew, who came to Nazareth, and I was at that time in a shawarma place. Everybody's familiar with shawarma, I'm sure, right? So I'm, you know, I'm eating my shawarma, and I see this amazing dialogue between a Jew who comes to visit Nazareth to the person who works in that shawarma place. And the Jew comes and starts speaking with him in Arabic, but not the one that you know, like, ah, wachat chumus, chips, This is not Arabic. <laughs> He came to him and he said in Arabic, which I will translate in a second. Marhaba. Sandwich shawarma. This is a whole different, you know, talk. So I'm listening to the conversation and I'm seeing actually 
how the person who works in the shawarma place suddenly is like, oh, I'm going to spoil that guy now. I'm going to put more meat in, his, uh, in, in the pita or whatever it is because it was all about respect. He respected. Where they, and by the way, don't you ever, ever think that knowing Arabic will make you less of a Jew. And in fact, if someone thinks that, then he's not really sure of his Judaism. A hundred percent. Because I know English very well, and I know Hebrew very well, and trust me, I'm proud to be an Arab. And I'm never going to change that. This is who I am. And this is the message that I'm trying to pass also to students in Israel as well. Now all this conversation started by just telling you about the stories of my friend. And the way I felt equal. Now bear with me. I felt equal among my friends. It doesn't mean that I was naive. It doesn't mean that I didn't know what's going on within the Israeli society as a whole. Well, if you ask me, okay, are you here to say that Israel is a perfect country? Are you here to say that Israel is not, you know, you don't have racism in Israel? Or there's no discrimination in Israel? Or there isn't any problems in Israel? Anyone will tell you, yes, Israel is perfect, is lying. Anyone will tell you that there is no racism in Israel, is lying. Discrimination, if he says there isn't, he's lying. But I have two things to say about that. The first one, can you actually point and tell me one country that it's perfect? Can you tell me about one country that does not have racism? Should I speak about what's going on in London? Or the United States? South Africa? The whole Europe? South America? Australia? Unfortunately, it exists. And the second thing that I want to say to you is when I talk about racism, what do you think I'm only speaking about between Arabs and Jews? What is it, enough racism between Jews to Jews themselves or Arabs to Arabs themselves? They are minorities. Those voices in the Israeli society are minorities, not majority. But the problem is that the minorities of both sides, they are more violent, more vocal. And it seems like they are the majority. But trust me, I'm on the field, I'm on the ground every day. I meet with Arab Israelis, I meet with Jewish Israelis every day. Last week I met thousand students around Israel. In one week, over, over a thousand, a thousand two hundred. And I hear the voices. I know what they're saying, what they're thinking, because I ask, because I'm interested, and at the same time, they're interested of hearing what I have to say. And the stories that I'm about to share with you very soon, some of you will be surprised, some of you will be, ah, we know this, which is great. Some of the stories will shock you, but for the better. I know one thing. I know that racism exists, but I have a choice. Whether to surrender and say, okay, this is the situation. Whatever, let's just stay like this. Or to actually make it different. The easiest thing is to do is, you know, say, that's the situation, that's it. But I truly believe that the way for us to beat racism, discrimination, and to make the Israeli society much better is actually by cooperating together. But I like to call it a partnership. Sharaki in Arabic. Shutfut in Hebrew. Partnership between Jews and Arabs. That's the only way we can do it. There's no other way. And shortly I will also tell you exactly what I think about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Because there's a huge difference between the Palestinians who live in the West Bank and the Palestinians who live in Gaza. 
to the two million Arab Israelis. And I'm here to make sure everyone also understands the difference. Because there are, there is a huge difference. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Now from that point, knowing that there is problems in Israel, and seeing what my group of people, Jews, Christians, Muslims, Druze, Bedouin, seeing how we are all together, feeling equal, I've arrived at the age of 18, and what happened at the age of 18 in Israel? The Army. The Army, IDF, it stands for what? So it's not the JDF. It's not the Jewish Defense Forces. And there's a reason why I say it like I say it. Because at the age of 18, I took a look at my life, and I looked at my friends, and I saw my Jewish friends, and I saw the Druze men, because it's obligated for the Druze men to serve in the army. I saw them preparing themselves for the army, and I asked the question, why? Why I'm not going to the army? Now, obviously, the reason is very simple. I'm an Arab. As an Arab, I'm not obligated to serve in the army, so I don't start this process. But my other question was, why? Because as I said, it's IDF, it's Israel Defense Forces. And when the IDF protects Israel, the IDF doesn't protect only 80% of the population. The IDF protects the whole Israeli society. And when Hamas and the Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah and obviously Iran attack Israel, I haven't heard about a startup where a missile can uh, you know, figure out whether you're an Arab or a Jew. They attack all of a sudden, and unfortunately, there are facts. Facts to that, and I'm coming to that fact immediately. So I decided to volunteer. One of my friends asked me, Yusuf, are you sure this is the path that you want to take, joining the IDF? And I said, yeah, I'm positive, 100%. That was three months before I started my service. I was 100% sure. I started my service on the 16th of November, 2003. On the 4th of October, 2003, just about a month and a half, my answer changed from 100% sure to a million percent sure. But unfortunately, I changed my mind because of a terrible event that happened in Israel. As I said, on the 4th of October, 2003, a Palestinian female suicide bomber entered the Maxim restaurant in Haifa. She blew up the restaurant, a restaurant that co-owned by Arabs and Jews. You have waiters. Arabs and Jews. Customers, Arabs and Jews. Because of that suicide bombing, 21 Israelis were killed. Arabs and Jews. Over 50 were injured. Arabs and Jews. My parents were in that restaurant four days before that bombing. Just imagine if the terrorists would come four days earlier or my parents would go four days later. I would be without a parent. I knew by listening to the IDF, I'm actually protecting my society, the whole society, my country, Arabs and Jews. And that's how I started my service. A year later, oh, I should say, by the way, I only, only 
agree to join the army if they can promise me that I am going to be a soldier and a fighter in the Golani Brigade. That was my... Listen, listen, that was crazy because when I came to the IDF uh, recruitment office, I came to them and I said, so I want to join the army, but I have a demand. And they were like, nah, you're lost. I said, no, wait, wait. I'm willing to join the army only if it's Golani. Why Golani, by the way? Because one, it's the best brigade in the IDF. And second, only crazy people accepted to Golani. And uh, I think some of you already know that I'm a little bit crazy. And anyway, I remember the officer looking at me and says, you know, this is not a supermarket. You can't just go and ask what you want or take what you want. This is the army. And I said, okay, then I'll go and, uh, you know, travel to South America. Eventually, I was accepted to Golani after I passed all the tests. And a year later, I became a commander. Now, this is a... I love this sentence that I'm about to say. Not to you guys, because you are familiar, or most of you are familiar with what, about, what I'm about to say. But when I spoke to students from Harvard University and professors, they were shocked, just to let you know how they have no clue about Israel. And then they go and say it's apartheid. But the best sentence that I can break down that apartheid myth is when I say to them, I, as an Arab, was a commander over Jewish soldiers in the IDF. Oh yeah, 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 it happens. And the thing is, some of the students did not believe me. They went online while I'm speaking to them. I, I actually demanded that. Go online right now. I'm not going to continue the lecture. Go online, search for it. And after that, they were shocked that an Arab can actually serve in the army. But you know, there's one video that I did here in London. And I asked questions like, do you think Arabs in Israel can serve in the army? Majority of them said, no way. And to see their reaction when they realized that I'm an Arab who served in the army, it was epic. Epic. But this is just gives you an example of how they are uneducated and how we have a lot of work to do. I'm going to jump to two months before the end of my service. I participated in the Second Lebanon War. During that war, I lost seven of my friends, three of my commanders, and one of my soldiers. And four days before ceasefire, I was injured badly myself. When you're in a war, you cannot feel, even if you win, you cannot feel that satisfaction of winning. When you lose seven friends, three commanders, your own soldier, when you get injured yourself, you don't feel the satisfaction of winning. But what I can tell you is that some of the soldiers in the battle lost their life because they didn't want to get treatment before their friend. I saw it in my own eyes. I saw it in my own eyes when I came to evacuate some of my friends and they said to me, don't touch me, save my friend first. That this is the spirit of the IDF. And this is why as an Arab, I will always, always will say that the most moral army in the world is the IDF and you cannot convince me, I was there, I know what's going on. It doesn't mean that there isn't stupid soldiers that do stupid stuff. And it doesn't mean that Israel shouldn't uh, 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 punish them. But when people take few events and make it as if it's part of the IDF, this is something that I will not be silenced about. I will speak about it everywhere, especially as an ex-IDF soldier. But I want to share with you 
a really crazy story about facts and about how terrorism and missiles of terrorist organization does not spare Arabs or Jews. Just before I entered Lebanon, I was in Gaza, trying to fight Gilad Shalit. You all know that we didn't succeed because Gilad Shalit was in captivity for a long time. But when the Second Lebanon Liber- War started, we as Gulani were specialized in the north of Israel. So they immediately got us out of Gaza to Lebanon. During that ride on the bus from Gaza to Lebanon, my friend from Nazareth called me. And he said to me, Yusuf Marhaba, hello. I heard the rumor is that you're entering Lebanon. And I said, yes, I'm on my way actually, less than a few hours. And he goes and says to me, I have a question. How does it feel? I said, how does it feel? He said, yes. How does it feel to go and fight your Arab brothers? I said, I'm not fighting my Arab brothers. I'm fighting the terrorist organization Hezbollah. That's it. We did not agree. The conversation ended like this. Now, as you already know, four days before ceasefire, I was badly injured. And I was a full year in rehabilitation. During that year in rehabilitation, my friend came to visit me. He did not say hello. He didn't even say, how are you? Or get well. The first sentence that got out of his mouth was, Yusuf, I understand what you said. And the reason why he said that is because during the Second Lebanon War, 44 Israelis were killed by Hezbollah rockets. Half of the casualties were Arab Muslims from Israel. On my city, Nazareth, rockets fell down, killed babies, injured dozens. When I was in Lebanon, I wasn't protecting the Jewish society. I was protecting the Israeli society, which has Jews and Arabs. I was protecting my city, Nazareth. I was protecting my country. And when my friend came, who is from Nazareth, and when he told me, I get it, I understand. As I said, you can't feel winning. But I would lie to you if I wouldn't say that I felt some sort of a closure and satisfaction from hearing him saying, I got it. I understand. By the way, it's funny because years later, some of my friends who opposed me going to the army said to me, with the state of mind that we have today and the fact that we are grown-ups and not 18 years old, put me back to the age of 18, I will probably do the same like you and join the army. This is amazing. This is another fact or evidence that we can actually do something if we raise awareness within my society. This is crucial for the next generation and especially for the journey that we are doing. You know, coexisting. I hate that definition. When it comes to the Israeli society, coexisting between Arabs and Jews. The coexistence is amazing to say it as a definition when it comes to the Israelis and the Palestinians, to the Israelis and the Jordanians, the Egyptians, the Emiratis. But when it comes to the Israeli society, and by the way, it's only my opinion, you can take it or not, the best way to describe it is what I've already told you today, partnership, sharaki, shutfut. And the best place to see partnership is in the hospitals. You would see an Arab doctor treating a Jewish patient, you would see a Jewish doctor treating an Arab uh, patient. 
you would see Arab families and Jewish families together in one room? Yes. Despite the fact that just last week, a racist act happened when someone didn't want to be next to an Arab family. What I love about how people love to generalize. Every day, if you go today to any hospital in Israel, you would see Arabs and Jews in the same room. But enough one story to generalize everybody. And this is something that I fight as well. I fight as much as possible. With all my power, that generalization. I just had it yet a few days ago. When some, uh, uh, when a Jewish man attacked a church in Jerusalem, and everybody in my community, or at least not in my community, everyone who hates my activity, sent me the video and says, oh, look at this, you're protecting those Jews. There's seven million Jews in Israel. You generalize one Jewish person that went into a, a, a church and did what he did. So I took that video and I spoke about it on my social media. The result was simple. Thousands of Jews condemning this act and saying that doesn't represent our religion, our values, or who we are as human beings. But the better thing happened is that the Arab extremists in my society, they're silent. And they're silent because of the fact that they try to generalize based on one person. But suddenly thousands of Jews are actually condemning that. So what do you do? And even more than that, Leave the fact that they were silent. Do you know how, much, how many messages I got from Arab Christians? Arab Christians in Israel. Say to me, one, first of all, thank you for the clarification. And second, they actually agreed. Because in that video I said, what we are doing right now is giving legitimacy to some of the people from the Jewish society, to the extremists, to say when there is a terrorist, that all Arabs are terrorists. They're going to do the same thing. And they said, you know what, you're right. And we shouldn't generalize. And this is exactly what we're fighting for. And this is the partnership that I'm talking about within the hospitals. I am an IDF soldier. And I was treated by the best doctors, Arabs and Jews. But you know what? Usually the media and the social media would like to amplify more the extremists. It generates more click bites, more ratings. How many of you know the name Ahmad Tib? Ayman Oudi. These names are familiar, it's easy to know, they are politicians, some of them even support terrorism. Let me tell you about Maher Ibrahim. Maher Ibrahim is a nurse in the Emic Hospital in, in Afula. He was responsible for the Corona Department. And during the pandemic, an older Jewish religion, religious person was about to die. The doctors called the family and they asked them to come as fast as possible to say goodbye. The family were from Jerusalem. And at that time there was a it was snowing in Jerusalem. And for those who are familiar with just a little bit of snow, whole Jerusalem is shut down. True. The staff and Maher Ibrahim realized that the family would not be able to come and say goodbye and the person is about to die way before he sees his family. Maher Ibrahim studied at Bar Ilan University and he took courses in Judaism and he knew 
what is the meaning and how it's important for a Jewish man, especially if he's a religion, to hear Shema Yisrael before he dies. He took Sefer Tehillim, went sit down next to him, and as an Arab Muslim nurse, but mostly as a human being, he said Shema Yisrael. A few seconds later, the Jewish man died. But he did not die before he heard Shema Yisrael. That story could have been missed. It came to my door. And I always say, Nushkur Allah, Nushkur Allah, thank God, thank God that I have enough followers on social media that when I posted that story, it went big, viral, all over Israel. I remember Mahar Ibrahim calling me and said, Yusuf, you flipped my life. And he said, that's good. By the way, a few months later, he actually liked torture in the Independence Day. Very well deserved, actually. But this story is not unique. I have thousands of stories to share with you. We need the whole day. We need a week just to tell you the stories that I know, that I know. Are you playing catch-up with Johnny Gould's Jewish State? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests. How about Douglas Murray? Israel is a rare country in the West uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. There isn't a, there isn't a fertility rate problem in, in Israel. Um, for instance, there, there is in, in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of the depths that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN Watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, the known to some of the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists. And often it's, uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that, that, to be honest, really, really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be, to be truth-tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash johnnygould or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. ko-fi.com slash johnnygould. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is it is easy to see on the social media how extremists elevate everything from both sides. Just remember one thing. Just remember one thing. The extremists from this side and the extremists of this side, they need each other and that's why they keep elevating each other. What happens if you lose one of them? There's no need for those anymore. That's why they need each other to continue. But you know what? You know when I really realized that? The moment that I saw that the extremists from this side and the extremists from this side who hate each other to death literally cooperated against me and my organization. I said, okay, they're afraid. I'm going to keep going on and on. Which brings me 
to after rehabilitation, when I established the organization to get a vouch for each other. It's an Arab-Israeli organization led by young generations from the Arab society. Our goals is very simple. We want to bridge gaps between Jews and Arabs in Israel. We want to integrate the Arab-Israeli society into the Israeli society. And the slogan is very simple. Us first. We are so fed up from our politicians, despite the fact that we are not a political organization. But we are so fed up from our politicians that they keep shouting Jenin, Ramallah, and Gaza, and Nazareth, Lod, Haifa, and Shfaram, and Rahat. We need to take care of us first. And we, we need to work on a partnership between Jews and Arabs in Israel. We need to take care of us, of the main issues that we have, from illegal weapons, from, from, from uh, crimes, violence, better infrastructure, better education system. And by the way, don't you think that I'm unique by saying that? In the recent polls that happened before election, any election, you know that in the last three years we had five elections. So it's where, and trust me, every election they do at least three or four polls. So, so we're talking about 20 to 30 polls that they're done, surveys that they're done to the Arab society in Israel. And they ask the Arab society, what is the most important issue for you? The Israeli-Palestinian conflict came last with only 4%. 4%. What the Arab leaders do once they get elected? They take care of only the 4%. And I know that in your head right now, there's the question of why you keep electing them. There's actually a reason why. A very logical reason. The Arab Israeli society is weak society. And yes, obviously, as a citizen of Israel, Israel has responsibility. But my father taught me one thing. When you point your finger at someone, Automatically, you're pointing three fingers at yourself. We need to take responsibility as well. And when our leaders are doing absolutely the opposite of integrating us into the Israeli society, of being part of the Israeli society, speaking about Gaza and Ramallah, how can we work with the country? Now we're circling back, so why are we electing them? It's because we are weak. Why we are weak? Because our leaders don't really want to work for us. Think about it. A weak society is a controlled society. A controlled society is a society that's afraid, scared. And it's a society that will keep electing the same leaders time after time with lack of replacement. When you don't have an alternative, and this is something that I say, yes, it is our responsibility to make a new alternative. We failed so far, but we are working on it, trust me. I guess what I'm trying to say is that for years and years, we went in a certain direction. And you know, I realized that this explanation makes sense when we started our work. Everybody within the Arab society who are against us ignored us. And the way that they ignored us was even more hideous because they did it in live TV. For those who understand Hebrew, if you can go to the social media and you see the confrontation that I had with Ahmed Tibi, with Ayman Oudi, with Ayatou Musliman, Ofer Kassif, Sami Abishadi, all those names are politicians from the Arab society within the joint list, what was the joint list. And they ran live TV, yeah? You would see Ahmed Tibi just get up as fast as possible once I entered the studio. Ayatou Musliman, I gave her five seconds to run away. She surprised me. She ran away after 10 seconds. No, no, it's, it's, by the way, it was live. Everything I'm telling you, it was 
broadcast it live. She just took up the earrings, went on the stage, and said, I'm not going to continue this interview because Yusuf is there. Why? Because they don't want to give legitimacy to my voice. Why do you ask? It's very simple. One time, one time, member of Knesset Ahmed Tibi said my name in the Israeli parliament. Obviously in a bad way, but we don't care. That day that Ahmed Tibi said my name, I got hundreds of messages from the Arab society, my society, saying to me, wow, we did not know that you exist. My God, you're saying what exactly we're thinking, but afraid to say out loud. Keep going. We're with you. Now I'm sure some of the questions are, so where are those voices? Where are they? It seems like I'm a lonely soldier. First of all, I'm not. Last year, we brought the first Arab-Israeli delegation to Auschwitz. This year, we're doubling the delegation. Doubling, okay? Every year, 5,000 Arab-Israelis volunteer. Volunteer to the National Service, not the Army, to the National Service. You add more to the Army. You have police officers, fire departments, paramedics, medics, lawyers, doctors, whatever you want. For those who are in fight, but those are the people who are silent. This morning I got a call from my sister. I'm sure some of you saw what happened with me in the Tel Aviv University. For those who don't know, there was an anti-Israeli demonstration from within my community. Arab Israelis holding the names of terrorists and protesting for them. I couldn't stay silent. I had to go there. And I told them exactly what I think about them. Since then, I got a lot of threats. A lot of threats. Some of them are real. I have on speed dial some of the uh, top investigators in the Israeli police working on some of the cases right now. And for that, thank you for them, for their job, for what they're doing. But what I'm trying to tell you is that I cannot right now blame anyone from my society for being silent. I don't want them to pass what I am passing. But I can tell you one thing. This morning, my sister called me. And she said, listen, listen, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you something. She's from the village of Yafia, Yafia. It's literally, you can't tell it between Nazareth and Yafia. It's the same, same place. She went to this venue. And once she entered the venue, because she wanted to buy a little bit of hummus and salads and stuff like this. Once she entered there and she says like, hey, 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 you're Yusuf's sister, right? I said, yes, I am. I said, listen to me, listen to me carefully. You go back to him and you tell him, we absolutely love this guy. <laughs> and also tell him, we apologize. We apologize that we're not saying it out loud. But you know, I have a venue. Some of the extremists are literally part of my community. If I do something and I speak out somehow about it, I'm going to lose my business. That's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? This is why I will never give up. The more people stop talking, stop being afraid, and this is the stage that I want to arrive to the stage where we are actually united, that voice, that silent voice that exactly wants the, what I'm speaking about. And we're going to get there. But now, people are asking me, what do you need from us? And when they say us, it's the Jewish community. And it doesn't matter whether the Jewish community here 
or in Israel, or in the US, or whatever it is. I need three things. One, support us. Second, don't show skeptically. Don't be skeptical. If you're skeptical, voices like me will be afraid. And the third thing, be patient. This process is not about one year or two years or even three years. It's a long process. Remember, 75 years we lived in a way, do you think you can change it in 75 minutes? No. Support, don't be skeptical, and have patience. These are the three things that I need from the Jewish community, that we need from the Jewish community. And yes, we need that. And you know what gives me hope? That I actually see this support and help from the Jewish community, which allows more voices in the Arab community to come and stand out and speak. Like Ahmad Zoudi. I went to a delegation with him. He's an Arab Muslim. So we went to a delegation. I took a, a, an Arab Christian, Arab Muslim, Arab Jews, an Arab Bedouin, and went to a delegation to the United States to speak about the tapestry of the Israeli society. When we entered, people were shocked. Oh, this is Israel? Not even one Jew. Israel. People were shocked. Suddenly, Israel is not only about the Jewish society. It's more than that. So immediately they were, they were confused. But we'll never forget the question that Ahmed was asked. Why? Why are you part of Vouch for each other? And he answered, I am part of Vouch for each other because finally I have a home and I have a back to speak out loud without being afraid. That moment, I looked at it as a defining moment for me and my organization. And I said to myself, you know what? This is what we're fighting for. Bringing more voices from the Arab society to speak. And despite the fact that I'm getting hundreds of threat messages, ask me why I keep doing it. Because for every message that I get that has a threat or hatred, I get dozens of messages that are supporting our activity and my activity. And that gives me more and more and more and more energy. And what do you think? Your support doesn't give me energy? I'm telling you, the love and appreciation that I got here today, only from today, it boosted me for the whole month. It boosted my energy for the whole month. Because I appreciate the fact that you support me. And you support our ideas. And it shows exactly what it should look like between Jews and Arabs. I want to speak about how we also changed the way we do what we call it Hasbara. Talking about Israel. And also speaking about the importance of this journey here with stand with us. Because it is important and you will understand soon why. But I want to give you first a story of how we changed people's mind. And how we as minorities affect other people. And the story that I want to tell you is actually from Harvard University. I came to Harvard University. I was part of four speakers. When I arrived there, I asked the event organizer, I told him, please don't mention anything about me when you introduce me. Just say that our next speaker is from Israel. He thought I'm crazy. I told you I'm already crazy, so. The first speaker is done. It was my turn. And indeed, the event organizer went up the stage and said, our next speaker is from Israel. I go up on the stage and I start talking. 
I did not introduce myself. I didn't say who I am, what I am. I just started talking about the reality of Israel. I was waiting for something to happen. And yes, 25 minutes later, the exact same thing that I wanted to happen happened. And suddenly a student, a little bit annoyed he was, and he's like, excuse me, can I say something? And he said, yes, go ahead. And he goes, you know, I've been listening to you for the last 25 minutes. I'm disappointed. And I'm not surprised. Okay? And he was like, I'm disappointed and not surprised because I would have expected from any Jew like you to speak about Israel like this. Mm. Wallahi, with my most Arabic accent. <laughs> I said, my name is Yusuf Haddad. I am an Arab Israeli. You could have dropped a feather on the ground and listen to the feather slam on the ground because they were so quiet. <laughs> Five seconds later, the commotion was so big that I couldn't even hear myself because they realized whatever came or whatever I said, it came from the mouth of an Israeli Arab and not an Israeli Jew. At that time, it was like a few years ago, way before the Abraham Accords. That time, there were two students, one from Saudi Arabia and one from the Emirates. They approached me after the lecture. Obviously, we spoke in Arabic, and he goes like, Wallahi, you surprised me. I did not expect this. And also, 99% of the things that you said, I had no clue about. And he goes like, by the way, I'm related to the royal family. I will go back to Abu Dhabi, and I will pass them the information that I got. So I always say that I might have started the Abraham before. <laughs> Immediately continued what I did. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you think about it, we have the ability to change people's mind. And that's why, if you think about this journey here in London, and the fact that I came with, with Stand With Us, and since we started working on that journey, they are absolutely scared. And when I say they are absolutely scared, I'm talking about the anti-Israeli community. They're trying to cancel some of the events. They managed to cancel some of them or change it a bit. And if I have the opportunity here to ask each and every one of you, obviously those who can, to come and even support at UCL, come and support, because there are gonna be people there who are not happy to see that an Arab Israeli comes to tell the truth about Israel. But I promise you one thing, I will do my best, absolutely my best, to stand in front of them, not with violence, only with facts and truth, and share the reality of the Israeli society as much as possible. Now, I want to finish with a story, just to show you how we are actually doing also a change within the Israeli society. We're working on a project to bridge gaps between Jews and Arabs, and the way we do it outside of Israel, we're doing it inside of Israel. I came to speak in front of a pre-military school. And once I entered the pre-military school, a Jewish person came to me, a Jewish student came to me. That was four years ago. And he said to me, Yusuf, I googled your name. I found out that you're an Arab. You found out America. And he's like, no, wait, wait, wait. In my opinion, all Arabs are terrorists. And then he added the sentence saying, a good Arab is a dead Arab. Hold on. 
The easiest thing for me is to get mad, frustrated, angry, sad, whatever you want. Instead of that, I do one thing. I asked him one question. How many Arab friends do you have? What was his answer? None. None. I asked him to sit down and listen to my lecture. The end of that lecture where I brought informations and statistics and stories like, like Maher Ibrahim and more and more and more. The end of that lecture, he came to me and he said, listen, I have to apologize. I did not know. I did not know about these things. Now put him aside, I'm not done with the story. I went to speak in front of uh, high schoolers in Nazareth. Once I entered the school, two students approached me. One of them said to me in Arabic, Yusuf, inti akbar khayim, which means you are the biggest traitor. And then they said to me, the Jews don't like us, they are racist. Same thing. I could get angry, frustrated, but I actually decided to ask similar question. How many Jewish friends do you have? What was his answer? Sit down, I told him, listen to my lecture. The same idea. Only after the lecture, I approached him and I told him, listen, I have this organization, you know, we are trying to bridge gaps between Jews and Arabs, we have projects, come and see for yourself. You don't like it, it doesn't cost you money, go. The bottom line of those two stories which share lights about the Israeli society, the kid that called me a terrorist and the kid that called me a traitor, Today, both of them volunteers in our organization, and they are very good friends. Okay? All this is possible. I know that there are so many obstacles in the way. I know that this journey is not easy. It's not easy to defend Israel. It's not easy to bridge gaps between Jews and Arabs in Israel. But we don't have a choice. If we want a better future for our children, for the next generation, we must fight for it. But the only way we will succeed if we fight together. Thank you very much. If you've just hopped on board Johnny Gould's Jewish State, you are welcome. There's a 24-7 live stream of our shows. Just tap this into your browser. www.jewishstate.radio www.jewishstate.radio Subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends and spool back a few episodes for new Gulf Arab generation. They ring out in the name of peace with Loe Al-Sharif. I recorded this in Abu Dhabi. Jews and Muslims, Arabs and Israelis were always destined to be together. And since we live in the same region, the Middle East, it would be better for us and for our region, for our children and grandchildren to live in peace, prosperity, security, rather than just living in a continuous conflict. This is coverage of the Jewish and Israeli world that just doesn't get properly aired in mass media. And I'm not ashamed to ask for your help. A one-off donation 
is always gratefully received to support my efforts, but a monthly donation really gets our service off the ground. Donorbox.org slash JG Podcast. Donorbox.org slash JG Podcast.